Welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. I'm your host, Court Dunn. Join us as we talk to writers about their work, their process, and what it means to be a writer. All right, welcome to the Writer Experience Podcast. Today's guest is Murr Lafferty. Murr is a novelist known for Solo, Six Wakes, a Hugo and Campbell winner, uh, and a podcaster known for I Should Be Writing, and Ditch Diggers. She's also the co-editor of the magazine Escape Pod. Uh, so Murr, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Thank you for uh, taking the time. First question is, where are you in the world right now? Are you in LA, New York? No, I, I live in Durham, North Carolina. Durham, North Carolina. And have you yep. always lived there? Uh, North Carolina my whole life. Okay. I grew up in the mountains and then went to University of North Carolina and then just stayed in the area after I graduated. Gotcha. So from your perspective, uh, being in North Carolina, how does it affect your writing? And it, it doesn't, I mean, it doesn't really affect it. It With the internet, you know, it really doesn't matter where you are in most cases. You know, you can call people for almost <laughs> free these days, Skype with them or do a face-to-face. So it's uh, not a big deal. I, I wanted to start a writing career. I lived in Durham. I started a writing career and I still live in Durham. So. And have you always wanted to be a writer? When did that, you know... When did that idea start for you? I thought it was around eighth grade, but my father tells me it was a lot earlier. So I'm going to go off of his memory and think maybe five or six because he found some old stories I wrote. Was there a particular story or um, novel or you know piece of media that kind of particularly inspired you? Or when I started reading um, science fiction, fantasy, adventure stories starting starring girls, uh, Wrinkle in Time, um, Dragon Riders of Pern. Those books really got me excited and, and made me think that this is something I wanted to really get into. As far as, as what you do, you know, I described you as a novelist, uh, an award winner, podcaster, co-editor. How do you like self-identify when you wake up and you start your day? Is there one particular thing that takes precedent? or Pretty much. I've always wanted to be an author and everything else has kind of come alongside that. I wear a lot of hats. I'm a freelancer, so I, I do a lot of stuff. But I've always considered myself a writer and, and that being my ultimate goal. And then as far as like your career trajectory, um, obviously recently released Solo, and I'm sure you know a lot of people asked you, talked to you about that. What would you say got you to this point? How did someone get to a point where they're writing a Star Wars book? Well, my career has gone rather strangely because I was uh, an early podcaster back in 2004, and um, I was part of the pretty much the first wave of people who were doing science uh, their their podcast serial fiction, and I started building a, a an audience that way, and sort of had my audience before I ever really tried to publish anything or did an agent hunt or anything. And so, um, because of my podcast popularity, uh, an agent got interested in me, and that went south, and nothing ever came of it. And yeah, I got my first deal at the end of 2011 for a book that came out in 2013 with Orbit, and that was The Shambling Guide to New York City. And um, yeah, from soon after that, in 2013, I... Uh, met my current agent, who was unlike anybody else I'd been repped by, was heavily into science fiction and knew all the people you needed to know for science fiction. 
and she knew um, the executive direct the executive editor at Del Rey, who's in charge of the Star Wars uh, license. And so she put me up as an interested writer, and that was kind of a key point there. So it was really, um, I built my audience myself with the podcast and then found the right agent after a long hunt for proper representation. It, it was a difficult hunt, but I finally settled on the right person. Yeah. Do you have any tips for finding an agent? Obviously, getting an agent, getting a manager are recurring themes we hear from our guests. Are there any learnings or key kind of things that you've discovered that you'd pass on to aspiring writers? Yes, obviously it's yes such but a no big... one's going to listen <laughs> because I knew this role and I still didn't listen. If something in your gut says don't go with an agent, don't go with an agent. Think about it like it's it's almost like a marriage in that you don't want to go in there with any doubts because if you find the right person, it's going to be a very long relationship right. that will benefit you both. And if you go in with doubts, there's probably a reason you have those doubts. And if you continue the relationship and you still have those doubts, you're wasting your time. Because I I had two agents that I was... Um, not really sure it was a good idea I'd gone with. And these were not bad. These were not criminals. These were not bad people. They were very successful agents, but they weren't right for me. And I stayed with them because I thought, well, if you're that successful of an agent, surely you can get a book deal for me. Right. And it didn't work that way. Um, and finally, I found someone I clicked with immediately and it doesn't even have to be like a, a, a best friend scenario. But it's got to be somebody that you trust is passionate about your work and wants to sell it. And if if you don't think they're that, then don't sign with them. And it's the hardest <laughs> yeah. choice in the world because you, I'm telling you how not to get an agent. <laughs> right. But what I'm telling you is how not to make not to waste months or years off your life and your writing career by signing with the wrong agent. The way I found my agent was networking at a con. So go to cons. (laughs) Well said. Um, Prior to getting an agent, did you find that not having one consumed a lot of your mental kind of time and energy? Or were you pretty good about kind of compartmentalizing that and and focusing on the writing when you're focusing on the writing and focusing on the agent when you have the right opportunity? Well, I think I, um, I don't know, that was a while ago. I'm trying to think I was, I think I was, you know, this was over 10 years ago when most people wanted submissions in paper form. And I remember reading all the different submission guidelines and trying to make different packets for a whole bunch of different agents. And that sure took a long time. But I don't know. I, I think I, I, I'd like, I'd like I, again, I, I've wasted much more time being with the wrong agent than right. with trying to get an agent. So um, I do agree that you definitely should not waste too much time on the agent hunt just do your research, send off your query, and then get back to work. So normally for our episodes, we like to give them themes. For you, we would love to hear about your process as a, as a novelist. Would you be down to kind of school us a little bit on that process? I'll do my best. I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of a mess, but I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. Let's try it. And we can use any of, the, of your novels um, or anything you've written as, as an example. Um, where do you come up with the inception of an idea? Where does an idea come from? Is that something that just one day just pops into your head? Do you have a bunch of ideas and you kind of whittle them down? Like, where do you start? All the above. <laughs> it's, it's a lot of times I'll, I'll come up with an idea. Um, like, 
possibly the first idea for Six Wakes, which is a clone murder mystery in space. Um, the first idea was I'd read a lot of Generation Ship books where the crew had forgotten their goal or forgotten that they were going anywhere or even forgotten that the ship was so large and it had become such a uh, closed, what do they call it? Closed environment, self-sustaining environment, whatever, that people didn't even know they were on a spaceship, that kind of thing. Um, and I just wondered what it would have been like if you had the same crew all the centuries of a generation ship trip. And that was probably my first thought. Um, and, you know, I, I read a lot, I watch a lot of TV, and I play a lot of computer games, and people may think that's a waste of time if it's not actually reading books, but all of those contain stories. Right. And all those have done something to trigger ideas in my thinking. Um, I was playing the, the video game um, FTL, which is sort of a starship simulator, and it's got a cloning bay but it's only used if you lose a crew member it's not used to populate your ship with a whole bunch of people you can't use it for that and i thought i don't know if i've ever read anything that had cloning just as an immortality thing and not let's make a whole bunch of this person and and chaos ensues and so that's that's probably where the the second idea came is to throw clones to drive the generation ship and just have them reclone themselves whenever one of them dies. I can't remember how I made it a murder mystery. I really <laughs> don't know that. Um, yeah, uh, I think my mentor read um, the concept of the book, and he's like, what makes this in space? Because I really didn't talk about space at all. And he's like, this could just be in a hotel. And so that made me make the actual environment inside and outside the ship more of an issue. I studied a lot about um, gravity and yeah, artificial various ways of doing artificial gravity. And then um, this was just kicking around ideas. And then my publisher, my two first books were, were supposed to be a series, but they didn't do well. And so my publisher said they wanted more ideas from me. And so I came up with three, and this clone murder mystery was actually my least favorite. It just kind of tacked on at the end, and that's the one they wanted. Oh, interesting. And the after that, the the process was a little excruciating. Um, my editors were very, very patient. <laughs> we had to go back and forth a couple of times to get it right. Um, and I've actually blocked a lot of that out. I keep trying to think, what was so bad about that? I just took <laughs> a long time. I think I just blocked it all out. Because they weren't wrong. I mean, a lot of the stuff they came they came back with was uh, very helpful, and I was convinced the book was complete crap. And the first review was actually negative, and so I was I was very convinced my my career was over. And then every review after that was very positive, and then it got a bunch of award nominations this year. So. Um, I guess the lesson I learned is write the book I'm not as excited about as all the <laughs> other ones. I don't know. It's 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 really hard to say what the timeline is because they're all very different. But um, you know, with Solo, it was fly out to L.A. because they're definitely not going to send me a copy of the script. And then I got time with the script in a locked room for one day, 
and got to write down as much as I possibly could. And um, every time they had a new book that was finished, you know, like the the visual guide or um, the middle grade book got finished before mine did, they'd send it to me. And luckily, my um, approval for the extra scenes came back, took so long to get approved that they gave me a little bit, a little bit of an extension on it, which meant I got to see the movie before the, um, before I had to turn the book in, which a lot of novelizations don't get to do because of the tight timeline, which really made me a lot happier because there were a couple of scenes that I couldn't quite picture correctly. Um, and then it was just two quick, edit turnarounds where I had to do my editor's turnaround and then I had to do the Lucasfilm comments. But that was a lot cleaner because it's somebody else's intellectual property and they're calling all the shots. So Once you decide that you're going to start, okay, this is the book that I'm going to move forward with, what's the initial kind of process? Are you outlining that? Are you, you know, do you have note cards? What's your process for that? I don't, I, I don't outline well. Um, I'm the kind of person that, you know, my best ideas come in the middle of writing, literally writing a scene. I will come up with the best idea for that scene in the middle of writing it. And um, not being in that zone of, of actually writing the narrative, it's hard for me to come up with really good, hard plot points along the way. I find it very difficult, but I've had to do it from time to time. Um, but right now, it's I come up with a, a probably a paragraph of an idea, and if I get stuck, that is when I outline because that's happened to me twice, which is not bad, you know. In, in everything I've written, it's only happened twice. But for one of my novellas that I wrote for my podcast, I got to the middle and I got stuck. So then I outlined it, starting from the beginning and taking everything I'd written. And then I tried to think, okay, in just story beat ideas, what logically comes next? And that helped me get out of that hole. And then Six Wakes, um, it's, it's got a format that's very I – was, I was heavily influenced by the TV show Lost, where you, know, you, you see what they're going through today, and you think you have an idea about who the characters are, but then you see something from their past that may make you think you got it wrong. Your first impression was incorrect. And so I did that a lot, but with all the flashbacks and all the different characters and such a large timeline, because these colognes are hundreds of years old. And then when the edits started coming in, I started getting really bogged down. So finally, I took a big stack of note cards and I made one note card for every single scene in the book. And I laid them all out on the floor and shuffled them around to where I thought it might actually work. And... But that, that, again, was being kind of mired in the middle and not knowing where I was going. So I, kinda, I guess I use outlines and note cards in the middle if I have a problem, but usually not at the beginning. Interesting. At what point do you know when you're done with a novel? I assume you do a first draft and then you go through it a few times. Like, At what point do you get a sense, okay, this is going to be finished, whether it's the first draft or whether it's after all the edits? Um, I usually take... Uh, really emotionally done for me after the first draft. I'm, I'm a, I feel like people either love writing or they love editing and I love writing. 
and so when the edits come, that's that's a big downer. <laughs> but um, <laughs> even though I know that that edits make the book a lot better, um, it's just not as exciting. But I guess now at this point in my career, it's done when my editor approves it. So, right. but emotionally, it's done at the end of the first draft. What about world building? Is that something you spend a lot of time separately doing when you? Okay, I'm going to go forward with this novel. I need to create that world. Am I going to sit down and just spend a day doing that? Like, how does that fit into the overall? Or are you creating as you're going? I kind of create as I go. Um, that is where I I I'm the kind of person that would get mired, like bogged down with too much research and too much note taking, and never actually moving forward. And um, I'm a I'm a strong believer in if. If someone in the, the book needs to be dead and they needed to die in chapter two and you're writing chapter five, then you just keep writing chapter five as if they died in chapter two. And you don't go back and edit between two and five because you're you're in the zone of writing, not editing. You just make notes saying, oh, this person needs to die in chapter two. And then we're going to go on. So that's sort of how my world building goes that I'll be writing. And if something new about the world occurs to me. I'll just make a note and make sure that that I remember it and then carry on. You mentioned working with editors. Um, what is that relationship like? Do you get along with the editor? Do you ever meet the editor? I go to a lot of science fiction conventions. So, um, yeah, I think, I think I've met every editor I've had. <laughs> and it's um, it's helpful. It is. It's like, yes, they, they want the... They want the best story they can get, but you hear about the people who are just jerks to work with, and you wonder why editors keep working with them. And the answer, I think, is they're proven to write good books, and the editors tolerate all the crap. If you're a new writer, and you're a complete jerk, and you write really well, they may not think you're worth it. So even though they do make their decision based on the story, getting FaceTime or just a phone call is I think it's very beneficial. So um, yeah, I like to get along with my editors. I like thinking that if we get along, that means I respect their opinions. And if I respect their opinions, that means I'll take their edits uh, with more grace than if I think that they're unpleasant and completely off base and, and not good at their jobs and, and that. So um, it's, it's hard to take edits from, an editor you don't respect. So I think that's another reason why I think the FaceTime is, is important. So I know not everybody either has the um, means or ability or location to go to science fiction conventions. But if you're a science fiction writer, it really try to get to one. It's really, really good for your career. So after you finish uh, the novel, are you very quickly moving on to the next project? Do you have a bunch of ideas that are in your mind? You're like, I can't wait to get to this. Or are you taking some time off? Like, what is your process for getting from one story to the next? I, I have to take time off. My it's almost, it's almost a physical feeling of my brain being a muscle and it being overworked. It, it, it feels like I've, I've, my entire scalp has been tense for days and it's just all relaxed. And if I try to write more, it's either going to be very bad or I'm going to uh, get really depressed. I, I recently had the, the perfect storm of I finished a book, a book came out, and I, I was 
forced because I was on a team to start a new project all in the same week. And at one point, I I had a very depressed day. And it was like right after I'd won the Hugo and a lot of good stuff had been happening for me. But this was all just utter mental exhaustion. And it was really hard for me to keep going. I needed a break or, you know, I would not be able to to finish. So I um I managed to to take some time off after the big meeting with the the team we were writing with and that helped. So yeah, I I I got to take the time off. You mentioned uh conventions and and that kind of thing. As far as promoting the book, is that something that you are they ask you to do, you're you're paid to do? Do you do that yourself? I know you mentioned that they're valuable. I found them valuable as um building your career, you know, meeting agents, meeting editors, meeting other writers. As for the early parts, I haven't found them terribly I mean, if you're, if you're thinking about like selling books at the convention, not so much because I've, you know, still relatively unknown and a lot of people are there to see the bigger draws. So, I don't know if they're good for book sales, but being on panels and just, you know, doing being there to to meet whoever is is interested in what you have to say is is almost never bad. So um, I would find it more valuable early in the career and perhaps later in the career. Um, the, this past Worldcon, Six Wakes was up for the Hugo, and I had more people in line to sign my book than ever in my life, and that was really interesting. I'd never experienced that before. So. Um, but that was because it was a Hugo-nominated book. So it was uh, none of my other lines had ever been like that. I have heard through a friend that um, if you go to comic cons and sell your book, at least he, he said San Diego, that you know he thought he went as a nobody, but he sold out of his book. So I don't know. As for who pays for it, 99.9% of the time, the author will pay or the con will pay. Um, that Because it's, it's not... Sometimes publishers pay for book tours, but I don't know about that because I, don't, I haven't ever had that opportunity. So, But yeah, it's usually on your own dime. But it's a tax write-off. So, As far as um, writing solo, solo, was solo your last um, novel or do you have something that's coming up right now or would you say that's I have your the most thing recent? I just finished but it's not announced yet so I can't okay. talk gotcha sadly um having written for solo as an example writing for uh the Star Wars franchise do you feel as though that affects the way you're thinking about your next project are you kind of like okay well I worked on this so for the next one I want to do another Star Wars book or I want to do something that's as big in scale like does that affect the way you write not really, because it's it's not my call at all to write the next Star Wars book. You know, that's that's going to be the editor's call in Lucasfilm. So um, that's really a passive thing on my end. There's not I don't think there's much I can do beyond try to write the best book I could right. to to get more work. Um, I'm 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 basing my next book on the success of Six Wakes and trying to move forward with the same sort of space murder mystery mentality because that's what worked last time so that's that's pretty much what i'm doing do you plan to tell more stories in the same universe as that and create kind of one specific universe or would they be separate stories in different universes 
what I'm thinking about is a separate universe because the publisher didn't want a sequel to Six Wakes. So um, that's I, it'd be kind of pointless to write a book without a publisher because <laughs> not a right. lot of publishers want to buy a book two in a series, even if book one did well. What's your end goal as far as being a writer? Is there another route? Do you want to go into screenwriting? It's like, what's your career kind of goals? Um, it's funny. I've been trying to think about that recently. Uh, TV writing and screenwriting are kind of scary for me because um, it's so group oriented. You know, it's, it's you'll write a script, but everybody from other script writers to the director to if the star is really powerful, the star will have their fingers in your, your dialogue and stuff. And that's got to be frustrating. And, and then maybe the director won't pull your vision across or the actors won't deliver your lines the way you wanted them to. And I mean, I, it's, it's, it's kind of a scary thing. A lot more lucrative than book writing. <laughs> so right, right. I, it's possible I could learn to just write it and, and let go because I'm already doing licensed writing. And, you know, what my editor and Lucasfilm wanted in Solo is what they got. It's not like I could argue and say, no, no, I think this character would say this. You know, we talked about um, your advice about, you know, an agent. But what about writing in general, about people who are just starting out uh, and looking for just one piece of advice? What would you say? I have two. One's large and macro and one's small and micro. The large one is don't quit. And it sounds so easy, but considering how many people I know who quit and the fact that I quit for like 10 years after college, it's sad. And so many people think that if they're not good writers now, they never will be. And they don't think of it like a skill that you work at, like any other skill in the world. So if you don't quit, you've got a much higher, I mean, you've at least got a non-zero chance of succeeding. And if you quit, you've got a zero chance of succeeding. The micro thing is one thing that um, people don't actually talk about this very much. And, and when it occurred to me, it, it's, it's one of those little plot things that I see everywhere, which is most stories need to have an external conflict and an internal conflict, which is why, say, using um, series uh, like detective series, whether they're magical or, or uh, non-magical type stuff, you know, you're, you've got your detective with their own personal issues. You've got them, just to use the, the cliche gumshoe thing, you've got the older man who is an alcoholic and has three ex-wives and can't get along with anybody. And that's the, the micro, the internal conflict that's going to be there in every single story. And then you've got whatever crime he's trying to solve as the big external story. But people aren't going to be interested in the external story if you don't make the internal story something that is something they can root for you to fix. The internal conflict has got to be really engrossing for, to make people care about the characters. And if they care about the characters, then they'll care about the external story, which is the plot of the whole book. Awesome. Uh, are you down to uh, participate in something we like to call a series of seemingly random questions? Sure. All right. Um, the first one is we like to tailor towards the person. We will kind of like look around your website, your Twitter, that kind of thing. So for this one, uh, you had recently tweeted, someone asked me to contribute to an anthology. My response bounced. So I guess now I'm seen as the evil writer who doesn't reply to solicitations. So yeah. looking at that, for those aspiring writers interested, 
who are maybe working on a project and they're thinking about reaching out to um, successful writers, established writers like yourself. What are your words of advice for that? Is there a right way or a wrong way to go about that? Is that like, oh, yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. They, they, well, first, make sure that your mailbox isn't full, so your the reply to you doesn't bounce. Um, second, noted. Pro writers are going to want to know the two biggest questions are going to be when is it due and how much are you going to pay me. And if you're not paying them, you better have the full information of the charity that you're supporting as the information. Because if you're actually approaching somebody whose name you want to help sell your book they're not going to want to do it for free. Um, so in the opening, just say what it is and who, uh, and, and what, when it's due, because sometimes people will go, Oh, that sounds great. And then you say, Oh, and it's due in three weeks. And they'll be like, no. <laughs> so due date and how much you're paying are need to be upfront. Um, your credentials, maybe I'm not sure. It's, it's, if it's, if you don't know them at all personally, then your credentials of what you've worked on before, other projects, magazines, whatever. Um, if you have a publisher already lined up, that's good. Or if you have a Kickstarter planned, that's good. Um, gosh, what else? Is that enough? Yeah, no, that's amazing. Okay. Um, all right. So question number two, if you could have dinner with any writer living or dead, who would you choose and why? Gosh, you'd think you'd you'd know that because you hear it asked and you think yeah right. Um, probably Madeline Langle because she was such an inspiration to me as a kid, and um, I wrote her a fan letter and she wrote me back, and that was you know these days with Twitter and email it's that's not so out of question, but you know back in the eighties that was a big deal. Um. And she managed to do an entire series of books where kids go on magical adventures and there's very little actual violence. And that's, you know, going back to those books and realizing how she made such high adventure with such little violence is, I think it's a, it's an art we're losing. Um, Ursula K. Le Guin did a lot of the same stuff. But I've always been intimidated by her. I, I regret not being able to meet her before she died, but I've always had a secret fear that she wouldn't have liked me. So, uh-huh. um, but I, I can, yeah, I'd say Madeline Langle. Awesome. Uh, question number three. Has anyone ever told you that you can't be a writer or you shouldn't be a writer? I don't think so. I, I, I've always made it clear. I mean, I, I think people have said it's difficult to get published and difficult to build a career, but not actually telling me no. My father told me that he hated my elementary school principal because he was my dad's teacher when my dad was a kid, and he told him that he should not be writing those stories, and that actually made my dad quit. Oh, wow. So that that was one of those... I mean, it's possible someone might have told me that and I just completely wrote it off because I didn't want to quit like my dad did. So, um, but no, I don't know if anyone's ever told me that. I've, I've gotten a lot of, you know, oh gosh, a woman writing science fiction, that's weird or different. And I'm like, no, it's really not. You really need wow. to open your eyes. It's not, it's not weird or different at all. There's a lot of us. 
But again, no one's ever said you cannot do this. So I, I guess I've been lucky. I know plenty of people who have heard that. What about internal conflict? You mentioned earlier that it's important to have an internal conflict in your stories. For yourself, do you ever find uh, it difficult to finish a story or to you know, find the, the will to kind of finish those last edits? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The self-doubt, the self-doubt bully is always on my shoulder. It's, it's, uh, it's difficult. And, you know, it's, it's a very, um, very clever bully because it's good at, fig- it, it, you know, if I do something, if I succeed at something, then the, the internal monologue is, well, you'll never do that again. And if I don't succeed at something, it's like, okay, you're done. You suck. So, uh, yeah, I hear that all the time. And, but what I've discovered is, and this is the topic of my podcast, Ditch Diggers, by the way, you still got to do the work. It, it doesn't even matter what you think about yourself. If you're trying to make a career out of being a writer, it's like, okay, so you suck. You still got to get your work count in. And if it sucks, deal with it later, but you still got to do it. So, um, it's a, it's a, it's a pragmatic way of going about the art that actually helps me, which is no matter what I think, the work still has to be done. Question uh, number four, is there, would you say that the process of writing your novels versus let's say the process of planning a podcast, are there any similarities or there comparisons or are they completely different crafts? They're completely different. I, all of my podcasts are uh, pretty much off the cuff. And yeah, I've regretted that at times. I had, interviewees that were not very verbose with their answers and there was some dead air and some fumbling of how can I ask a better question that will actually make them say more than three words next time um but no a lot of my stuff I'll do research before I interview somebody if I'm not interviewing somebody I just pretty much talk off the top of my head and edit out my fumbles and my long pauses and um with Ditch Diggers, my co-host Matt and I just uh, talk about our topic early on, but to keep the conversation more um, organic, we just agree on what the topic is and not what we're going to say about it. So I don't plan it hardly at all. I, I come up with a topic and just go, and if it doesn't work, it fizzles, and I'll try again with another topic another time. But um I guess maybe that is like how I write, because if I like to write by the seat of the pants and I like to podcast the same way, I guess maybe it is. But uh, I, I don't plan a lot for the podcast. Do you uh, podcast because it's fun? Do you podcast to as a break to your writing? Like, How do the two kind of coexist? It's hard to say now. I started it because it was new and exciting and not a lot of people were doing it. And I thought that seemed fun to, to start, to, to be you know, be one of the first kids on the playground kind of thing. Um, I kept going because I kept, it it was a fun medium to play in because it was completely new. So, you know, we were playing with serialized fiction and um, podcast being the, uh, pardon me while I shake my cane at the clouds, the word podcast is supposed to mean the delivery of a um, file by subscription not an audio show. And so I, I ex- experimented early doing, I did a PDF podcast. So um, people were downloading the PDF every time I put one out. And it was, it was just fun. After a while, um, I keep getting people who've discovered my show 
and it's helped them get get past a uh, writer's block or get started writing when they never thought they could. Or um, I talk about my depression on the show, and and I've had people say that my frank openness about this has encouraged them to get help. Um, and and that's kind of what keeps me going now, which is people are still finding the show. I don't have a huge, massive uh, listenership, but I do have a solid listenership and new people all the time who are saying, this is something that is helping me. And as long as I'm helping people, I really don't want to stop. Um, with Ditch Diggers, it's just fun to talk to my friend Matt. And, and we were doing something that not a lot of people were doing, which is talking about the business side of writing or creative life. So um, I guess novelty and, and fun and helping people is what keeps me going right now. Is it weird to be on the other side? Are you the guest on other podcasts like this a lot, or do you have a preference on on each? Or oh, I have a, I have a blast. <laughs> I don't have to prepare anything. It's great. <laughs> uh, I do prepare for interviews, as I said. Um, it's it's fine. I've I've had I think one interview that made me want to scratch my eyes out. <laughs> uh, it was awful, but that's like in over a decade. So um, I usually find them pretty fun. So. Uh, yeah, it is. It's it's a fun thing. It's just sometimes I have to make indications in my calendar when I say I have a podcast interview, whether <laughs> I'm the target or I'm the interviewer. All right. Last question. Um, what is something about your career that nobody knows? Dude, I have a pot, two podcasts about my career. <laughs> I'm trying to think of what I've held back. It's got to be something. Um, it's got to be. Something about my career that nobody knows. Nobody. Something that that so few people have ever mentioned that it delights me when they do is I once had a geek parenting column in the magazine slash comic book, Nights at the Dinner Table. And um, it was it 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 got some good comments. I didn't know how many readers we had, but I have like a couple of people who are I have a guy who comes every time he knows I'm going to be at the same con. He brings me like one or two issues every time. He doesn't want to overload me, but but not a lot of people know that I did that uh, column for a couple of years. But that's they still do know. <laughs> um, do you have super fans? What's your experience like when you go to cons yourself? Do you enjoy going to comic conventions? Like, oh, I love it. it. I love it. What's the, um, what's the best part? I love meeting people who my books have spoken to. Um, I had a moment at uh, Worldcon where I had seen somebody and I had heard her name uh, at the pre-Hugo party, but I hadn't really connected her with the nominated work. And when she won, I realized that she was a writer of one of my favorite things written last year. And so the next morning when I, I saw her at breakfast and I'm like, you know, I'm sorry I didn't introduce myself last night, but you know, I just wanted to say congratulations. I'm Mer Lafferty. And she's like, Oh my God, you're Mer Lafferty. I love your book. <laughs> and I'm like, but I'm trying to fangirl at you. Hang on. And it was, it was a very awesome moment when you realize people who, whose work you admire, uh, read your stuff and liked it. It, it's, it's a very, it's, it's a really good feeling. Um, I had another fan who uh, 
was at the Nebulas, and he went there on my um, on my recommendation to you know try out cons. Even if you're not like ready to find an editor or an agent, just go to a con and see what it's like. And so he went to the Nebula Con, and I knew he'd gone there because I had encouraged him. So um, the Nebulas are are done after a banquet, so. I saw him, he'd gotten a banquet ticket, so I saw him and I went over and chatted with him a little bit, and then I walked away. And then the next day, he came up to my signing and he's like, so there was this guy at my table who basically just tried to one-up every single person with every single thing that they said, and then you came over and talked to me, and then you left, and he's like, how do you know Mer Epping Lafferty? <laughs> and he's like, so you made my night. So, so that was awesome. fun. That I, I didn't know that I was, uh, I had that aura, but I was just trying to say hi since I knew that he'd, he'd gone there on my recommendation, wanted to make sure he was having fun. But, uh, that was, that was fun. So, but uh, actual super fans of, of anybody I've been intimidated by or scared of, uh, <laughs> on the, on the negative side, no, my fans have always been very, uh, polite and and respectful and and very kind so yeah cool bonus question is the life of a writer glamorous is your (laughs) (laughs) is it is it made up of lots of coffee and you know stereotypical writer stuff it's 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 coffee or tea and it's (laughs) um uh pajamas a lot at work (laughs) it is driving my kid to school in like sweatpants and a t-shirt that I slept in and knowing that no one's going to know cuz I don't have to get out of the car but because I'm I but I'm going to work too like all the other responsible parents I'm just going back home to go to work. <laughs> I don't have to put on pants so um no it's not glamorous at all it's it's you know realizing that it's okay to look disheveled at the beginning of the day but you should probably get a Shower before five, before your family has to see you at the end of the day, looking exactly like you did when they left the house, that kind of thing. <laughs> but uh, no, it's, 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 I, I don't know about other writers, but I still do a lot of the um, domestic stuff. So it's, it's, you know, sexy writer life of writing about clones murdering each other and then going grocery shopping. Cool. Well, I think that's about it. Was there something you wanted to plug? I know you said you had a project that you were working on, but you can't talk about it. You want to just shout out your Twitter handle? What, what's next? Yeah, uh, if if you liked the movie, then then a lot of people have said that the book really adds to that, and they've enjoyed it. Um, so solo a Star Wars story. Um, my Twitter handle is at Mighty Mur. I find Twitter to be a feast or famine thing for me. I'll either spend all morning on it, or I won't visit it in two days. So you'll either see a lot from me or nothing from me. But um, and yeah, my website is is uh, merverse.com. Awesome. Um, well, we hope to see a lot more from you. Um, we're excited thank to hear. Yeah, for sure. We're excited to hear what that next project is. Um, thank you again, Mer. Really appreciate uh, you taking the time with us. Thanks. It was fun. And thanks to our listeners. We hope to see you back next week. Thank you so much for listening to The Writer Experience. If you enjoyed the episode today, please leave a rating, a review, and a comment on iTunes. You can also check us out on Instagram at Writer Experience and Twitter and Facebook at Writer EXP. 
The Writer Experience is a Samurai Dinosaur production. Copyright 2018. All rights reserved. Music by Kevin McLeod.